Well, friends, if you're joining back, this is lesson number two of the book of Romans. Uh, last week, we covered uh, the basic outline of the book. We gave some introductory remarks, talked about the outline given by Dr. John Phillips in his book, Exploring Romans. Uh, and then we personally covered uh, the first 17 verses of the chapter. And that means that obviously today we, we pick up in verse 18. Uh, only plan or intend to cover one verse this week. Uh, I don't normally do that. It's rare for me to stick to one verse, but I think there's uh, enough content here and, and, and it's a good establishment of where Paul's going in the verse. And so we're going to linger, if you will, on verse 18 for the entire outline. Last week in the outline, we talked about the principles of the gospel. Uh, we also talked about the problems of the gospel. And uh, we also uh, talked about uh, uh, Paul's dealing with that and his uh, desire to visit Rome and, and how the just would be to live by faith. I, pro I don't remember or recall if I mentioned the kind of bog down or the morass, if you will, of the first three chapters. Romans is a tremendous book and an encouraging book to study. However, having said that, it's uh, only fair to let listeners know that the very first part of the book of the Romans is, is very hard. Uh, it is harsh. It's where Paul deals directly with sin. As I mentioned in last week's lesson, many describe the book as being uh, Romans, but as being Paul's gospel. And in keeping with that idea, I, that idea uh, Paul will begin the gospel exhort, exhortation by dealing with the problem of sin. He'll do this quite extensively in the first three chapters. He does so because sin is such a problem that one cannot afford to minimize or overlook sin's effect. In the matter of sharing the gospel, my own father was careful to always remind me that before you can get someone saved, you first had to get them lost. And in other words, if one does not understand their guilt, the fact that they have violated God's law, that there's a penalty that goes with that, that they deserve, it's... I, well, he would say impossible, and I would agree with him, for them to be saved. I, I'm fearful when we deal with repentance so lightly in this day and age as a part of the gospel. Paul, in the book of Romans, certainly doesn't do that. And when we get into uh, especially the uh, chapter 10, uh, it's going to be a very key part on the road to salvation will be the repentance and so it cannot be overlooked. Uh, the first part of the Romans road is careful to deal with the explanation that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, that God Christ died for us while we're yet sinners. These things, these themes are repeated again and again. And so Paul is very careful in this writing to explain to us the problem of sin. The great commentator Warren Wiersbe draws a courtroom analogy in which Paul calls both Jews and Gentiles to the stand. Of course, both are found guilty before God. And then he explains the marvelous way of salvation through faith. Wiersbe states this, 
Until man knows he is a sinner, he cannot appreciate the gracious salvation God offers in Jesus Christ. Paul followed the basic Bible pattern. First, law and condemnation, then grace and salvation. So just as Wearsby put it, today we deal with uh, that condemnation, the, 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 the sin that we must wade through this part. And even when we get into uh, uh, chapter 7 a few weeks from now, we'll see that it kind of rears its head up again as Paul talks about his own struggle with this. But here in the first part of the, these early chapters of Rome, Romans, it's talking about uh, sin in general and certainly applicable to the sin of the unbeliever. And so I want to read verse 18. That's our key text, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And I'm reading out of the New King, King James Version. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, it seems redundant when you read it in the English, and yet when you look into the Greek a little bit, and I'm no Greek expert, but I'm familiar with the Strong's Concordance, and I listen to others who are uh, much well-versed in that language than I. But we see that there are, is not so much redundancy as it is three different uh, words that are being used to describe different types of sin or different categories of sin, maybe is a better way to put it. First of all, the verse talks about the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness. Now, the Greek word translated into ungodliness is a word that means a, a want or a reverence towards God, a want of reverence towards God, I should say. Here, the point of law is sins that are directed against God himself. Sins that, uh, that rise up against God and, and, and flare out. Uh, one might think of blasphemy. I heard a, a man the other day just blaspheming and, and joking and carrying on. Uh, and and the, the verse here is talking about that, uh, this type of ungodliness, one who would not acknowledge God even, or one who might uh, mention God, but not in a, a form of respect to his deity. Uh, we see this rampant in our society. Uh, there are times when uh, uh, things will come on television. Uh, um, catch, it always catches me by surprise when they edit out words uh, that our society might call swear words, and they leave in the taking of God's name in vain. There's just no reverence anymore. And it wasn't that long ago, friends, that when uh, that you just didn't hear that. It was very, very rare to hear God's name taken in vain. I can remember my Uncle Ernest and my father having conversation one day about uh, their time in the service. And I don't remember exactly what they were talking about. I always, I've never forgotten this. And I guess it's been maybe 30 years ago or more. But he was talking, my uncle was talking about how you, you might hear foul language now and again back then in the barracks. Uh, there are no ladies around, and, and it's kind of the guys, kind of locker room talk, you know. But even then, it was extremely rare that you heard someone that would take the Lord's name in vain. And what a difference it is today, this lack of reverence for his deity, for his holiness. And that's what this first part of the verse is talking about, this ungodliness. 
a, a lack of respect for the deity and the holiness of God, sins against God himself. I caution you to, to mind your tongue in, in, the, in the using of uh, the Lord's name, uh, even things that are holy. I, I, don't even, I don't even like people to attach the word holy to things when they're not speaking of God directly or, or his magnificent work. So friends, be careful about that. Uh, we think back to the book of Genesis in chapter three, a man's very first sin in the garden of Eden is a good example of, of this ungodliness. God gave uh, Adam and Eve one distinct commandment and that was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they blatantly disobeyed what God had said not to do, uh, this is a, a, another good example of this uh, ungodliness. Folks, I, I don't want to linger too much on this, but how often do we, are we guilty of this sin? Uh, not in so much the regards of doing what God has distinctly said don't do. I worry about the things that God has said to do that we neglect. The Lord Jesus Christ gave one commandment, and that was to is the Great Commission. How often do we neglect that? How often do we not be intentional about that? When we stand before God, will we be guilty of this sin of ungodliness? Nonetheless, that's what the word is talking about when it says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Then the verse goes on to say, and unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness also. And the Greek word translated here into unrighteousness is a word that means unjust acts or morally wrong. And here the point of law is sins directed against other men. I just mentioned uh, Genesis chapter 3 and the sin in the garden. And isn't it interesting that the very next sin mentioned in garden uh in Genesis, is this type of sin. It's uh, the sin of Cain against his own brother Abel. Uh, Cain, setting about in jealousy and anger, goes out and, and uh, I assume picks up a, 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 a stick or a rod or something, and he, he murders his own brother in anger. This sin against other men. God is not happy. He is not pleased with this. He does not excuse this. Uh, we are created in the very image of God. And these sins, one against another, God looks upon with disdain. And the verse bears that out. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so we have two categories named here, this ungodliness and righteousness. The first, as I said, deals with those sins against God. And then the second, sins against other men or mankind even. Oh, how much war has been raged and how, how much we glorify violence uh, and, and, and things that ought not to be glorified. I'm not a pacifist. I do understand there is a time that we must bear arms. I believe the scripture bears that out. But this glorification of it and this, this uh, always wanting to... Uh, lift up the the one who can kill and the one who can fight and 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 the one who can destroy uh it's it's a plague and it it, honestly the craving of it by mankind and by our carnal mind kind of bears out the truth 
of what the verse is speaking against. Well, thirdly, the wrath of God is revealed against human unbelief. Once again, we look at the verse, and it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he goes on to say, Who suppress, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And again, we have a Greek word or Greek phrase, if you will, that means acts uh, or morally, uh, unjust acts or acts that are morally wrong. And here the point of law is sins that are directed, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rereading the second one. The, the third one is uh, human talking about human unbelief. So the wrath of God is revealed against human unbelief, those who suppress truth and unrighteousness. The final phrase in verse 18 is presented in similar ways in different translations. Uh, the King James talks about this, uh, those who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, the ESV, the New King James, and the NIV use suppress the truth. And what it's saying here is that God will hold all accountable who deny the truth that he has so plainly revealed. And I can't help but think about the argument of evolution against creation when I read this. The things that are so clear and so plainly revealed, trying to be explained away by happenstance or accident under the guise of would-be science. And if you are honest uh, and take even a careful look at this so-called theory of evolution, it becomes very clear. Now, I, I do understand. Believe me, I've, I've, I've looked into it. I understand the amount of misinformation, disinformation, uh, our government funds it. It's in the schools. Uh, and it, it isn't it interesting. Uh, years and years ago, the, the Scopes monkey trial was a trial that, that made argument that saying the, uh, the evolutionists simply said, all we want is the opportunity to teach some evolution, uh, not exclusively, but to, to mention it as a theory. And I won't get long and drawn out into this, but now how the tables have turned. Uh, there's a mountain of, of history and evidence now to where uh, the tables have completely flipped. And so that if one even mentions intelligent design in many instances, uh, they are uh, canceled, if you will. <laughs> they, they lose their employment. Uh, and I'm not talking about just high school teachers. I'm talking about leading universities where... Uh, people lose their chairs and they are uh, banned. They're not allowed to teach or work ever again. Uh, you can find this information. It's, it's out there. Uh, there was a, a film done not too long ago. Well, I guess it's been over a decade now uh, by Ben Stein called uh, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Uh, as far as I know, Ben Stein is not a Christian. And this is not given as a... Uh, a Christian film or a film for believers, but it's just a concern for the squashing of even the idea of intelligent design. Not a God creator, not a biblical argument, but just the idea of intelligent design. And again and again, uh, people are silenced. Well, God's not going to overlook this. Uh, God is not going to put up with this. And this is what Paul's talking about. Those who suppress truth and unrighteousness. And that's not just the evolutionary, but any truth that is suppressed. Uh, 
truth against uh, arguments against scripture how many people have tried to destroy uh the scriptures to to get rid of all biblical truth uh throughout history that's been tried again and again uh nazi germany did it um uh, voltaire did it uh, so many people tried and, and failed and they always will fail god's not going to allow that but here we're given these three three categories in verse 18 uh, the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness those sins directly against god and and unrighteousness of men uh, those sins against other men who suppress truth in unrighteousness and this this suppressing of truth or this withholding of truth and folks that's that's if you wanted a, a, a general outline of Satan's plan, there it is. And, and that's what Satan did from the very beginning, was it not? He came in the garden and he began to cast doubt upon the word of God. Did God really say that you should not eat of the trees of the garden? And of course, Eve uh, mistakenly said, oh, no, no, no. He said uh, we, we could eat. Uh, of the trees except for this one and we can't even touch it which God never said so Satan has this wily way of working his way in and, and, and beginning to cast doubt and, and, and to get us to make mistakes and, and then ever so subtly and, and this is his plan the, to, uh, to suppress truth folks if there's ever a time that we need truth to be enlightened it's now. Even the idea of uh, truth being able to stand upon its own, uh, it, it's almost unheard of in the, in the generations that are coming up. They, so many of them believe that they, there is no exact truth, that my truth can be different from your truth, and there, there's no 100% truth, and that all should accept uh, whatever comes from, from your neighbor uh, as their truth, whether it makes sense or not. And so the, this is what God is warning about, what Paul is writing about here, uh, that is going to be a problem. When we go further into the chapter next time, we're going to see the, the decline, the things, the, what this uh, resisting of truth, this suppressing of truth leads to. So we'll begin next week looking at how God has revealed his truth to everyone. Uh, it, God has, has made himself clear. He does not have trouble communicating. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll, we'll also look at mankind's digression into sin and the destruction that sin brings. We will be dealing with the sin problem for some time now. Uh, it, it's very fitting and necessary so that we finally, when we finally reach the grace portion of Romans, we'll not take its wondrous message for granted. I ask you to bear with us as we go through these chapters uh, in, in the early chapters of Romans. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we talked through the book of Job, and I warned everybody up front, uh, this before we were doing the podcast, that the early part of Job is, is very fun. It's a historical narrative. Uh, there, there's a lot of drama. The characters are introduced. 
the the last part of Job, uh, the deliverance part, it is exciting, and, and and we see the culmination, and we we see how everything turns out. But that middle part of Job, and the longest part of Job, it's kind of like wading through a swamp. Uh, there seems to be three major sections of it, and they're so redundant, and they're so hard. But folks, that's on purpose. That was written that way with intent, uh, and and it was hard to study and and, and get through. Uh, and we expedited some of those studies and, and encouraged people to read carefully at home so that we didn't have to just wade through it every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Well, these first three chapters of Romans are somewhat that way because Paul must deal with the sin problem. And he does in great detail. He's going to talk about sin, uh, its unrighteousness, God's judgment upon it, how it, how it affects mankind, how mankind will decline if they give themselves over to sin. And so it's not fun reading, yet it's very necessary. Lastly, before I close, I'm going to encourage you to, as we go through this, to look for those verses that are used in the Romans Road. If you're not familiar with those, I'll try to give them at the beginning of next week's lesson. Uh, We've not reached any of them yet. They begin in chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, But it's kind of uh, interesting to me at least that we understand what those verses are and how they're used in the Romans road to, but to better understand their context, it, it helps to see them within this study. Uh, I used the example in class of John three sixteen, maybe the most well-known verse in all the world. Uh, and yet so many people don't understand the context of it, that Jesus speaks that and he speaks it to Nicodemus, uh, and he does it uh, in the midst of the persuasive argument that he's giving to Nicodemus that all must be born again. And so and Nicodemus struggles with that. So getting that context gives us an even greater understanding of that tremendous, tremendous verse. The same is true in the uh, verses for the Romans road. So be looking for those as we go through the study. It's been a little bit of a shorter lesson, uh, but I look forward to talking to you again next time when we continue our study in the book of Romans.